This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. All right, we're going to talk about the family this morning and why we can't stay here because I think that society would want to try to identify what is acceptable, what is normal for the family and how God is calling us higher. God is calling for us to actually grow and not get complacent or God is calling us to continually move forward because if your life is chaotic or if your life has issues, which we all do at some level, God says, I don't want you to stay there. I don't want that to become what you just accept as your life in life. Too many times we get comfortable in the wrong things and we just get complacent and we think this is the best it's ever going to get. Or we think the best has already happened because we reminisce about our glory days, if you will. But I believe that those that follow Jesus, the best days are still yet to come. Amen? Do you believe that? I really believe that. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. Successful families exist. Let me say it again because you may not believe me. Successful families exist. They're real people, but they're not perfect people. You see, you and I have this idea of what successful families mean. We have this stereotype that we have bought into that may have been fed to us by the media or television or by what we assume our neighbor's life is like or that we assume someone who may have access to greater means or who may be an affluent person and we think of everything in their life is together or we see the couple that always seems like everything is just going lovely. Let me tell you something. Everything is not what it appears to be. Successful doesn't mean perfect. Successful doesn't mean we never have challenges. Successful doesn't mean that there aren't things that I still need to work on or improve upon. Successful doesn't mean I have arrived, let me kick up my feet and let everyone come and serve and take care of me because I have achieved a certain status in front of humanity. That's not what success is. Here's the definition of successful families, in my view. I came up with this a couple weeks ago when I was preparing this message, all right? Successful families are real people who refuse to accept society's definition of normal, and they strive to grow in God's definition of what a family is to bring Him glory. That's the definition that I came up with of successful families. Whether you agree with that or not, I believe successful people aren't people who have arrived because they understand that's not the goal for me to arrive so I can unplug. It's people who are constantly evaluating and who are looking at how can I grow because they have a desire to bring God glory through their marriage, through the way they parent, through the way they carry themselves, through the way that they conduct themselves at their job, through the way that they spiritually invest in their families, and they don't accept that this is as good as it's going to get and I'm just going to camp out here. No, they say, I'm going to refuse to accept society's definition of what is normal. I'm going to refuse to get comfortable in what everyone else says I should be. Instead, I'm going to pursue what God wants me to be. Amen? Amen. And I strive to grow in that. I keep on growing. 
Paul said, not that I've already attained, even though I've done a lot of great things, not that I've already gotten a hold of this thing and I've arrived. He said, I'm still trying to get a hold of and grab a hold of what has grabbed a hold of me. That's what the Apostle Paul said. So therefore, I press. I continue. I don't stop. So God's definition of a family will bring him the most glory, and that's what we need to be pursuing. Now here's the thing. The Bible is full of failures who found hope and strength in Jesus Christ. You know that? All the people that we celebrate, that we have little flannel graph characters of in Sunday school... All of those little Bible characters, all the things that you and I may have grown up, if you grew up in the church, hearing stories about David and Goliath, hearing stories about Jonah and the well, hearing stories about Moses and the burning bush and the Ten Commandments, or hearing the story of Adam and Eve or of Jesus, and you hear these things, but let me tell you something, the Bible is full of people who have failed but, but refused to accept failure as the end. The Bible is full of stories of imperfect people that God used. Here's the thing. No one wants to admit faults or weaknesses because we're afraid of being judged. No one wants to do that. Everyone wants to carry themselves in a way that, you know, I, I, I don't want you to see any of my weaknesses because, quite frankly, there aren't any. And we want to carry ourselves as if everything in our life is perfect because we're afraid if we open up to someone. We're afraid that if we level with someone and we get real with someone, that they're going to judge us for our weaknesses. That they're going to think poorly of us. Or that they're going to go tell everyone our struggles. And so out of our fear of judgment, we kind of stay reserved. No one wants to admit those faults or weaknesses, but yet we like to read about dead men that were full of faults and weaknesses. We have a whole book full of guys that are dead who had plenty of faults and weaknesses and we celebrate them. You want to know why we celebrate them? Because they're dead. <laughs> That's why we celebrate them. We don't sit around and gossip or talk negatively about the fact that David couldn't stop looking at women. Instead, we go, great king, killed Goliath. Yeah, but he had a peeping Tom problem. To the degree that it caused him to abuse his power as the king of Israel to move her husband to the front lines of battle so he could be killed, so he could take her as his wife. Oh, yeah, but he's dead. King David! What if King David were alive today? Would he be as celebrated in our ranks? He didn't know he was going to be in the Bible. There wasn't like a sign-up sheet for that one day in heaven. Who wants to be in the Bible? Me. Put me down. <laughs> David didn't know we were going to be reading about him. That wasn't his intention in the way he carried himself. No, he was a man who had an issue, but yet we celebrate him because he's dead. Think about Moses. We celebrate Moses. Moses had issues. People all throughout the scripture were not perfect, but yet we look at them as if they were. If they were alive today, I don't know if we would want to associate with some of them. Well, I would, Pastor. No, I don't know if you would. 
because we don't want to be caught on the wrong side of town hanging out with certain people because we're worried about what our friends will think about us. But yet we say we would hang out with a king who went out and had a woman's husband killed so he could be with her? Huh. You see, my point is, is that we don't have a problem with their issues because they're dead, but yet oftentimes we're afraid to open up to other people because we're afraid of being judged. In the body of Christ, that should not be. Amen, somebody? Let's look at James 5 and 16. Can you bring that up on the screen? James 5 and 16 says, Confess your trespasses, or a better way to say it that would be relevant to this message would be admit your weaknesses to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, when I grew up, I would hear the second half of that scripture, but I rarely would hear the first half. I would hear, yes, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and that is true, but in the context of what James was trying to say was that we need one another to hold one another accountable, to be able to have some sort of safety in relationship to where I can admit my weakness because I know that you know that you're in on the secret and I'm not perfect. I know it's a big shocker to everybody. But if you let someone in on the secret of your life that you're not perfect and they let you in on the secret of their life that they're not perfect, then we can actually help one another because we can pray for each other that we be healed. We can hold one another up. We can be that person that will have that effective prayer because we're being fervent in our prayer because we care for one another. Amen? Amen. No one's getting helped when everybody pretends that everything's okay. Say that again. No one's getting help. When everyone pretends that everything's okay. You see, word of grace is a safe place where you're valued no matter what your past, present, or future struggles may be. Word of grace is a place where you are valued. I want you to understand that. In the context of this church family, you have value because you were created by God and He loves you. Amen? Amen. This is not a church for a perfect person who has everything in their life together because in reality, none of us do. We all have faults and failures and weaknesses on some level. And we don't want to talk about those things oftentimes because we are afraid of being judged. But the truth is, is that I blow it. You blow it. Guess what? I hope that this doesn't cause you to leave the church, but I'm not a perfect husband. Ask my wife. <laughs> I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect pastor. Those things don't exist. I'm not a perfect boss. I'm not a perfect money manager. I'm not a perfect family man. But here's the difference. I can be willing to understand that and admit that and realize that I still need to grow and I don't get complacent in my struggles or in my weaknesses. It's one thing to be in touch with the fact that I know I need to grow in this area. It's another thing for me to justify it and go, Oh, God, everybody's got problems and my problems are, are at least not as bad as so-and-so, so I'll just live with my problems. That's what a lot of people do. They want to go around and compare their problems to other people's problems. And if your problems are worse than my problems, then I feel better than you. And I want to hang out with you because I like feeling better than you. 
I don't want to deal with my issues. I just want to find people that have more uh, issues than I do or that are struggling in areas that I'm not so I can feel better about myself. And when I do that, I'm not helping them. I'm not helping me. I'm being judgmental. I'm being critical and I'm being prideful and arrogant and nobody's growing. I don't want to stay in my weaknesses. I don't want to stay in those areas where I know there are struggles or I know that it's not perfect. I want to go, okay, I want to move forward because I can't stay here any longer. Amen? Amen. I want to keep on growing. That's the difference. Because people go to either side of the extreme. They want everyone to know how flawed they are. and They want everybody to be cool with that, but they don't want to grow. It's okay to be open and transparent and honest, but do you want to grow? I want to grow. I don't want to stay in my weaknesses and make excuses. Amen? So you need to understand that if you're here and you're a part of this church family, that this is a safe place where you're valued no matter what your past, present, or future struggles may be. Because I love church. I grew up in church, okay? So I understand church. I I do. Thank you for the yay. I understand church. I get it. But let me tell you something that I have grown in understanding about church is that when we give testimonies or when we want to open up, we want to talk about things that happened 10, 20 years ago so nobody thinks it's too close to who I am right now. So nobody wants to be real and open and vulnerable. Oh, well, let me tell you something that happened to me 20 years ago. Well, that's still helpful, but what are you dealing with right now? Well, let me tell you my story about 20 years ago. (laughs) Because we want to keep going back to those things which are good and there's nothing wrong with those. But at the same time, I've seen so many people do that, but yet they're in bondage and they're afraid to admit what they're struggling with or to find someone who can help them to grow or to find someone who can help to pray for them, like James said. It's so important that we be transparent and that we be real with one another. You see, we don't have to stay where we're at. We are called to grow. So how will we ever grow in areas we are afraid of admitting we struggle in or areas we don't know much about? Maybe it's not necessarily something that's a struggle for us or a weakness. Maybe we just don't know a lot about it. Maybe we don't know what the definition of a godly family looks like. And we keep... Uh, we're, we're continually being told what we're supposed to do, but we don't really know what that looks like. We're told we're supposed to be good managers of our finances, but we don't know how to do it. We don't have the skills. No one has taught us. And it's like we feel like we're being beat up over the head, being told what we should be, but no one is telling us how to get there. And it's frustrating, especially in the church Because people are always being told what they should do, but so many times we're not being told how we need to take a step in the right direction. But the first step in the right direction is admitting, I don't know a lot about this. Right? The first step in the right direction is me getting off my high horse, getting off of of this, this idea that everyone thinks I have everything together, and me going, you know what, I can't stay here anymore. I'm I'm tired of the chaos in my family. I want to grow in the definition of what God says. And so I'm willing to admit I need help. I need someone that I can be transparent with. I need to open myself up to the reality that I don't have it all together. 
I think that one of the biggest things that people struggle with too, and we'll deal with this at some point in this series, is where people say, you know, I, I really don't know how to be that godly husband or that godly wife. I don't know how to manage my funds in a way that would be God-honoring. I, I, I keep hearing I should, I should, I should. And so I just look for someone and I try to do what they're doing, but I don't even know if they're doing it right. So how do I know? I believe God wants us to be equipped for this life, equipped for the work of the ministry. Amen? I believe that's what he wants us to do. And I believe that the greatest ministry that you and I are called to is our family. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11, the Apostle Paul begins to write to the church in Ephesus and outlay all of the different offices that were in the church. And he begins to say he gave some to be pastors and teachers, you know, and apostles and prophets and evangelists. He begins to go through all these different areas and say, this is, this, these are these areas. And the reason they're there, he said, in verse 12, he says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ. So if we're here, hearing the word of God, and, and people are ministers to us that we are helping, that, that that are helping us to grow or to challenge us, then it should be to help us to grow in ministry. And I believe that one of the greatest reflections of the glory of God through our lives is our family. So we need to grow in that area. So I want to spend the next few minutes just to give you hope for your family. My prayer is that you walk out of this place today with hope, hope that is going to translate into action steps to help move your family forward. So as we talk about this, I just kind of want to set this whole series up and say, we need to be open, we need to be honest, we need to be transparent with ourselves. And go, you know what, am I the person that's putting up the mask, wanting everyone to think everything is okay when I need to go, God, I need to be open to what you want to do because you see me for who I am? And, and, and help me to grow, help me to realize how to take a step in the right direction because I can't stay here. So if we're going to deal with our family, first and foremost, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a strategy for your family? Do you have a strategy for your family? I've never thought about that, Pastor Derek. Do you have a strategy? Do you have a plan for your family? Do you have a dream? Do you have a vision for your family? And do you have a strategy that is going to be a workable solution to help you to get there? Not that it's going to be perfect, not that there's not going to be bumps or tweaks along the way, but do you have a strategy for your family? We have strategies for everything else in life. We have a 401k plan with that retirement plan. We hire wedding planners. We have a fantasy football plan. Do we have a family plan? Do we have something that we're intentionally trying to do to position our family to succeed? Are there things that we're intentionally investing in in our marriage with our children, with those we are related to in order to help see other people succeed and to see ourselves as well succeed? Or are we just hoping it happens? You see, when we just hope something happens and we don't take intentional steps then we're going to get mad at everybody else who seems to be successful while we are dragging behind. We'll get mad at everyone else and think, oh, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and you don't even know their story. 
We'll think, oh, I'm so envious of how he treats her or how she speaks to her children. And you don't even know what they've had to go through to get to that point because they wanted that. They saw it. They knew it would honor God and it would bless their family. And so they made intentional decisions and took intentional steps to get there. It didn't show up on their doorstep that way. Good kids don't happen by accident. A healthy marriage doesn't happen by accident. You can't order it in the mail for $19.95. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Let me tell you, a healthy relationship with God does not show up on your doorstep. Healthy relationship with your parents and your relatives in a God-honoring way does not happen by accident accident. It is made by people who decide, I am not going to stay here anymore. Maybe you grew up in chaos. Maybe you grew up in dysfunction. Maybe you grew up and still carry the wounds and the scars of those relationships. But God says, are you going to stay here for the rest of your life and make excuses for why things aren't the way that in your heart God knows that you, and, and you agree with Him that you want them to be and that you know they should be. And instead of taking steps, oftentimes we'll just sit there and play the victim. I'm wanting to give you hope today. And I'm wanting to challenge you today that you have to have a plan. In other words, can you see beyond what is? Have you looked to God to help shape beyond what is? Because sometimes we get so overwhelmed with what is, our current reality, what is in front of us, that we can't see beyond the mess. We can't see beyond the chaos, and we feel overwhelmed, and we feel hopeless. I know sometimes my house gets that way. When my kids decide they want to drag out their toys, it's their favorite game. Let's see how many toys we have and dump them out all throughout the house. Let's see. I think I have toys in this room. Yep, there they are. Okay, let's go find some more. And they constantly go from room to room. And then before you know it, my house is crazy. If, if, if we don't stay on top of laundry or if we don't stay on top of dishes, dishes will stay on top of us. <laughs> and you know that and you feel it. And you feel the pressure from it because you see how quickly chaos can build. And what happens when you get to that point? You go, I don't even know where to start. I think it's time to go order a McDonald's cheeseburger and watch some football. Because... <laughs> I don't even know what to do. You don't know where to start because it's so overwhelming. But what do you know? That if you just do a little bit here and a little bit there, what begins to happen when you do a little bit here of the right thing and a little bit there of the right thing? You start to build up momentum. And when you begin to build up momentum, then all of a sudden you start getting this little energy buzz, this little adrenaline rush, and you begin to feel hopeful again. My house can be in order. We can stay on top of this. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about plans and strategies. And you say, okay, we're going to do it this way now. And and I think this is going to work. And you begin to seem hopeful again that I don't have to stay in chaos. And that principle works in every area of your life. It's not about you looking for a quick 1995 overnight fix. 
It's about you beginning to see a little bit beyond where you are and taking the steps to make that your reality. God wants us to do this because it's going to honor Him. It's going to bring glory to Him. So what do you need to start seeing beyond in your life? What do you need to start looking beyond? What is your pile of laundry? If it's literally laundry, then you need to see beyond that. But if it's metaphorically laundry, and maybe also real laundry, then you need to see beyond that. What do I need to do? What's a step I can take? Don't make excuses. That's the temptation. The temptation is to excuse the chaos. The temptation is to excuse the dysfunction. The temptation is to want to be drugged into accepting it as normal. And I'm not saying you have to come up with something that is going to just whirlwind your life. What's a step you can take? As I look in the Bible, I see that our God is a God of order and that our God is a God that leads us in steps. Amen? I see that there was a teenage boy who was tending to his father's sheep and then God sends the prophet Samuel to go find him to anoint him as the king. Did David immediately become the king once he was anointed with oil? Yes or no? No, he did not immediately become the king. It took years later because that was just a step. God affirmed his calling upon David's life, but David still had to go take care of his dad's sheep. He, could you imagine David out there going... I, I remember the feel of the oil that Samuel poured over my head. And I still feel that oil in my head. And it and, 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 and reminds me that I am anointed. I'm called by God to be the king. Why am I tending these sheep? You know? What am I doing? I, I want to be the king. But God says, no, I'm not going to take you from there to there. There's a giant you have to face. And then he goes and faces Goliath. After he faced Goliath, did he become king? Yes or no? No. Because then King started getting jealous of David. And then what happened? Saul started chasing David around trying to kill him. You see, there were steps in the progress. There were steps along the way. It was years before David became king. But that didn't mean that that wasn't God's plan or God's intention for him. And folks, let me tell you something. God has good intentions for you and your family and your life. But it's not going to just happen because you went to a church service or because you read a good how-to book or because you read the latest, greatest blog or whatever that you're following or whatever you're trying to do or you watched a special on Lifetime and now you think that you can get it now because it made you cry. <laughs> or because you saw some great project on HGTV and that's what we need. That's right. That's what we need. And you'll try to spend your way into happiness. You try to spin your way into order and it's not going to happen. Oh, if we just had this, then we would be happy. Oh, we need to go buy that, 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 that condo or that vacation home or that timeshare because then we could spend time together as a family. Yeah, but are we making those decisions now? Don't just throw money at the problem. That was for free. That wasn't even in my notes. <laughs> you can only expect to win if you plan to win. You see, people that win in life, people that are succeeding in life, people that are living their lives in a way that is bringing honor and glory to God, people that are enjoying the benefit of life. Not, and I'm not talking about people who have a pocket full of money. I'm not talking about people who are doing their dream job. I'm talking about people who say, I am not going to accept chaos as normal. I'm not going to accept the junk and the weaknesses in my life as normal. I want to keep growing. 
Even though life may not be completely dysfunctional, I can still evaluate and go, you know what, I still need to keep on growing because God still wants to do things in me and through me. Amen? Amen. Successful families aren't lucky or happenstance. They have a strategy. They have an end result in mind. And they have decided we aren't going to stay here any longer. Let me just bring a little bit of order to this. In Ephesians chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can, you can flip over there to Ephesians chapter 6. I hope this is helping you today and bringing you hope. You see, every family is a team, and that's how we need to look at our families. But there's something about a team. Every team has something on it. What does a team have? A successful team. A leader. Every successful team has a leader. But every family is a team, and every team has a leader. And let me tell you something. The team leader of the family is not supposed to be the children. You laugh and giggle, but I'm dead serious. The team leader is not the children. Somebody needs to set the vision that is mature. Someone needs to hold people accountable that is mature and willing to think about others and not only themselves, that cares for the whole family and that doesn't just care about themselves. There needs to be a selfless leadership heart in our family. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You see, this is an investment. This isn't just a one-stop thing. This isn't where I just have this little nugget that pastor gave me in a sermon, and I'm going to go home and do that, and it's going to instantly make everything better. It's something that we continually invest in. Leadership is not a one-time decision. Amen? Amen? Leadership is not something that I just say, well, this is what I'm going to do, and then I'm done, and everything is fixed, and we wave our magic wand, and everything is fine. No, it's a continual evaluation, correction, decision-making process. I've been in leadership my entire adult life, where people have looked to me to make decisions in some role or another, whether I was a youth pastor, a senior pastor, or a business owner, or just the leader of my family. People look to me, and I have to put myself in a position where I am willing to make decisions that are going to benefit the majority and not just myself, because if it becomes all about me, then it's going to be the me show, and it's going to all look like me, smell like me. And it's going to smell like all of my goodness and all my funkiness. And it's not about me. Amen? This church is not about me. My family is not about me. Am I a part of this church? Yes. Do I have responsibilities in this church? Yes. Am I a part of my family? Yes. Do I have responsibilities in my family? Yes. But it's not about me. Mom, Dad, we need to look at the bigger picture. Instead of just, am I trying to make my child my friend? Am I trying to make my child like me? Am I trying just to give my child the things that they didn't have growing up, talking about materialism, and that's going to make me a successful parent? Or am I investing in them for on down the road? Am I investing in health in my family on down the road? Am I willing to go to those estranged loved ones that there has been wedges in between us for years 
and try to reconcile or to try to open the door up for forgiveness, even if they reject my kind deeds and my kind gestures, that I still keep treating them with love because I know I'm not going to go from here all the way to the back of the room. I have to take one step in the right direction. Is this making sense to anybody at all today? You see, every team, if, they, if, if every team is a family and every family needs a leader and every family wants to win in life and every family wants to be successful because that's what God has called us to. It doesn't matter what challenges you're handed, what stuff you're faced with, no matter what socioeconomic bracket you end up in, it doesn't matter. It's not about all of us trying to achieve this perfect house with this perfect car and this picket fence and all of that stuff. It's about our lives mattering because they're bringing glory to God. And God wants to do things through us and in us, but we have to be willing to take a step. Amen. We have to be willing to take a step. See, this is ultimately all for the glory of God, but somebody's got to be willing to take a step and go, we can't stay here any longer. The family is a long-term, lifelong investment. It is not a short-term investment. It is a long-term, lifelong investment. So if I'm making a long-term investment... How do I invest in things, even from a financial standpoint, in the long term? If I want my car to last, or my home to last, or I want to have a a healthy 401k, or, or, or Roth IRA, or whatever I'm investing in, am I going to just continually wait until I have $100,000 to throw at that thing, or am I going to put a little in at a time? I'm going to put a little in at a time. And what am I going to do? I'm going to be consistent with it. Amen? This stuff is not hard. We make it hard. We make this stuff hard. It's not about the huge, big, one lump sum investment in our family and our children that we're looking to turn the corner with. It's about the little things. It's about the daily. It's about the making the decision to pray with them. It's about making the decision for us to not just rush and eat our food while it's still hot and it burns our throats. You know, it's crazy how we do goofy stuff. Or how everyone just grabs their plates and goes into the other room. It's about saying, okay, you know what? Tonight we're all going to sit at the table. We're just going to do this uh, one meal of the day or once a week or whatever. It's not about just trying to force everyone to do everything because we read it in a book or because of what Dr. Spock says or Dr. Phil or Oprah or whoever. It's about us going, what's the step I need to take right now? What's I need to move a little bit of the clutter away. And then when you begin to do that little by little, more and more, and you invest and you invest and you invest and you're consistent with it, you begin to gain momentum with it. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's go ahead and put that up there. Let's read that here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, or he thinks on it, day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they're like the shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So he's saying you've got two different paths here that you can choose. He said you can either walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or you can surround yourself with the counsel of the godly. 
You can surround yourself with God-honoring things and God-honoring conversation, or you can sit in the seat of the scornful and always point your finger at why you're mad at everyone else and how you're the victim of life. He said, or you can meditate on the law of God. You can meditate on who He is, and if you continually have your mind on His on his goodness, on who he is, and you grow in those things, you're going to grow some deep roots. He said, and your fruit is going to come forth when? In its season. Not just because you decided to read the Bible for 30 minutes and you accomplished it for a week before you decided you wanted to sleep in. Just being real. He said, he said, it's not just something that I do for a week and I go, okay, where's my fruit? Where's the result of this? This didn't change anything. No, it's going to come in its season. It's not your job to be the one who produces the fruit. That's God's job, amen? What is our job? To invest. It's our job to invest, to take a step, to be consistent. That's what he's calling us to do. And that's why we need one another. Because when we're weak in our consistency, when we're weak in our step, we need people to pray for us, to hold us up, to hold us accountable. But to do that, we've got to be real, we've got to be authentic, and we've got to understand this is a lifelong investment. You see, a successful family seeks godly counsel. I would rather know that I'm right because I asked, rather than have everyone think I'm right, to only find out I'm wrong. I would rather know that I'm doing the right things moving forward, that I'm taking a step in the right direction than you thinking that I am, only to find out at the end of my life that I was wrong. So that means that i got to get off my high horse, i got to allow my pride to be challenged and broken, so I'm willing to go to someone who has figured some things out, and I walk in the counsel of the godly. And I say, I want to walk in the counsel of someone godly. I see that you, you figured some things out in life. I see the way that your family interacts with one another. I, I see consistency in your life. What did you guys do to get there? Well, let me tell you something. It hasn't always been like that. It hasn't always been there. Let me tell you what I've been through. And then you find out everybody's real people. Right? And then you find out that not everybody's perfect. I met with someone, I don't know, it was probably about four or five months ago. I don't even remember who it was. But we were just talking about Word of Grace, and they were interested in becoming members here, and we were just chatting it up. And they said, you know, it took us a while to make the decision whether or not we wanted to come and be a part of Word of Grace because when we first came, we assumed we were the only people who had issues because it looked like so many people had their lives together, and we were just struggling in this area or that area. And I said, the furthest thing from the truth! (laughs) I said, we all have our weaknesses. I said, I don't want you to think that everyone is perfect because we're not and we're never going to be. We're all on a journey together. Some people have figured out some things that other people haven't yet figured out. I want to be around those people who have figured out things that I have not figured out. Amen? Amen. And I want to ask those people questions because I'm not afraid of me admitting to them that I might be weak in this area or I may not know something in this area. I remember... I remember one of the craziest things ever happened to me. I've always been a question asker. That's always been just part of my DNA. I've been, never been afraid to ask people questions. And, and, and I remember I had all the parents of my youth group when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma all come to a service one night. I wanted to, the parents to get to see what, the, what we did on Wednesday night for youth service. 
And at the end of the service, I asked parents to stay behind and evaluate the youth service. I just wanted to know their thoughts, just to see, you know, how do you think, uh, you know, it went? What, what are your th- feelings about things that are good and f- feelings about things that maybe aren't so hot? And we got the conversation going, and I asked them, I said, well, what do you guys think that we need to do in this area or this area? And we got feedback, had good dialogue, found out later one of the board members came to me privately and said, why are we paying you to lead our youth group if you're having to ask us what to do? And I began to think, wow, why am I getting paid if I'm asking? I said, I'm just trying to get a good pulse on what's going on. So many people are afraid to ask questions because they're afraid someone will look badly upon them if they don't have all the answers. I'm not Yoda, okay? <laughs> have all the answers, I do not. I don't have all the answers. I'm not a guru. I'm a pastor that has studied the Word of God, that is called and anointed by God, that is in His season, in His calling where He's supposed to be. But I'm not the guru. I'm not God. I'll point you to Him and I'll I'll help you along in the areas that I can help you along. And then when there are areas that I can't, I'll try to connect you with somebody who can help you better than me because I'm not afraid to tell you I don't know it all. If I don't know, I'll go, you know what, I don't know, maybe it'd be better if we talked to so-and-so because they're really sharp in this area. I do the same thing in my life, so I think that we need to walk in the counsel of the godly, amen? The Bible says we'll be blessed if we do that. You see, there is hope for your family. You don't have to stay in the chaos any longer. You don't have to stay here any longer. There is hope for you. There is hope for your family. You need to rewrite normal by choosing to see something different than what has become normal. You need to step up and lead. You need to figure out where you want to go as a family and what is it going to take to get us there. And then you need to take a step. Where are we going as a family? That would be a great conversation for your ride home from church today or, or when you go to lunch together. Where are we going as a family? I can't answer that for you. Where are we going? Where do we believe that God wants us to be as, as a family, regardless of what stage of life you're in? Even if you're a single individual, where, where am I going? Where, where am I going with my family relationships? What am I doing? You see, I don't want to stay in this state for the rest of my life of not knowing where I'm going, but hoping I get somewhere good. I want to know where am I going and allow God to shape and form that path for your family by you taking a step in the right direction. But you've got to see it. You've got to ask those questions. You've got to have those conversations. You've got to dig into the Word of God to allow your path to be directed by His Word and by His truth. You need to get in there and see, okay, what is a way that is going to honor God? What is something we can do that is going to be God-honoring? What's something that's going to matter with our lives? How, how, how can we bring resolution in this area of our relationship? Or what do we need to take a step in the right direction to have this type of family environment? I want to pray with my kids in the morning or in, or in the evening, or, or, or I want to read the Bible to them, or I want to invest in them spiritually. What's it going to take to get us there? Let's set a goal, and let, then let's put a plan into action. Let, let's put a strategy into action instead of just hoping it happens because somebody in a children's church said you need to be reading your Bible. Amen. Thank you for that clap. Whoever you randomly are. I think that was God going, Amen. I don't know. Here's the thing. 
Figure out where you want to go as a family. What's it going to take to get there? Ask questions of other people. Admit your faults to someone else and ask for help. Find someone who has been through something. Man, that's who I like to talk to is people who've been through something. If you hadn't been through anything, it's not as interesting of a conversation. But when people are willing to go, hey, man, let me tell you what we've been through. Let me tell you how we got here. And people who have been through some things in life, they don't mind sharing those stories most of the time because they want to help you. They understand their role. They understand that God can use even those trials that they went through in their life for His glory. And they're not just going to sit on those stories. They want to use that to help someone. I don't know how many times that I've been able to sit down with young families, especially with people who are about to get married. And I've been married almost 14 years, and we've been through a lot of ups and downs in our marriage and with our children and all sorts of good decisions and bad decisions along the way. And I've been able to sit down with people before they get married and say, listen, here's, here was my perspective before I got married. Here was the reality of what actually happened in those first few years. Here were things I thought she was supposed to do. Here's things I thought. And I was able to share real life stories with them. When someone has dealt with their child being hospitalized, I, I've been able to sit down. I remember the first time I was able to do that and use that story, that all that stuff that we went through with my daughter, Abigail, who is eight years old today. My twins turn eight today. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, yeah. Way to be born, twins. Happy, happy birthday to my girls. They're not here yet. They're, they're still at home with their grandma. She's up visiting for their birthday, but... If you see them, tell them happy birthday, if you, if you think about it. But they are, uh, I love my girls, but man, we went, we went through a lot of junk with the girls. But I remember a family in our church that their newborn baby was supposed to have, uh, have brain surgery. And I got to go to the hospital with them and sit down with them. And I walked them through what we had been through. And they were just able just to breathe a little easier. Just to know that God had brought our pastor through this, and, and there was someone who just leveled with them and just said, hey, this is what we felt. This is what we thought. And they're going, that's how I feel. That's why I'm thinking about, yeah, I know. And you're going to make it through this. And they did. And God did amazing things. But somebody just needs to level with somebody and be real. Amen? Amen. Here's the thing. Strong families equal strong church. Pretty simple. Strong family, strong church. A strong church is going to have a huge impact for the glory of God. Because we understand it's not just about us, but we want to help one another. That's what this is. It's a gathering of a bunch of people who need help because everybody needs help. Amen? Amen. This is a gathering of a bunch of people who need to grow because we all need to grow. And guess what? We have different tools, different gifts, different stories. And God has given those to us, not so we can sit on them. We're supposed to help sharpen one another, encourage one another. Be able to go to one another with honesty and transparency instead of judgment. So let's not judge one another for where we're at in life. Instead, why don't we reach out and go, hey, let me get to know this person. Let's take a step together in the right direction. Amen? I wanted to just give you a quick resource as I'm wrapping up this morning. One of the best resources that's available to us today is a website called Focus on the Family. It's a ministry that we support here at Word of Grace. Um, you may have heard of Focus on the Family. They have a lot of radio broadcasts and things like that, but they have a lot of resources. If you're just looking for some practical how-to things or maybe some ideas of, as you're shaping your strategy, as you're shaping your, your vision for what you believe God wants your family to, to, to grow in and the areas of your life and, and just some real practical things, they have articles on just about every scenario and every situation, and they've got somebody who is willing to point you to something. So instead of me trying to get up here and address every topic that every family deals with, these guys have already done it. And so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel, 
I want you to go there and I want you to check it out and, and allow some of those resources that they have on that website, some of those little, uh, little audio recordings that they have that are available to you or whether some of the printed material you can get, uh, the blogs, whatever, the little articles. There's all sorts of resources on there that will just really help you to grow in your family relationships that is going to bring honor to God. There you can find biblically-based topical advice for just about any issue. And also, beyond that, your church family is here for you. Amen? Because we are a family here as a church, and we're here for you as well. That's why we have community groups, so people can have a safe place to grow. That's, that's the main reason that we even created community groups, not because we were all bored and didn't have anything else better to do. We created community groups because we know that people are going to grow the best in the context of trust and relationship and being able to help one another in life. So if you're not involved in a community group, there's still plenty of opportunity for you to get connected and get involved. We, we, it, it, and, and when we're involved in community and relationship and we build trust and we invest in those relationships, God uses those things to sharpen us and will use us to help sharpen other people. Amen? That's how iron sharpens iron. This is why we have these things. So ask questions, ask for help, or ask for prayer. Ask or or look for a place for accountability and encouragement. And if you're not involved, get involved. Part of our goal, going back to our our document, that we have our vision document, is to have 35% of our congregation by year end involved in community groups. And I I don't know if we're there or not. We haven't really looked at that tally quite yet. Uh, we're only three months into having had launched this, this vision and, and these goals. But, I mean, that's, that, that's something that I, I think we can surpass that number uh, as we get involved in community together. So I just want you to think about that and pray about that. And I want us to invest in family through relational discipleship. I want us to invest in growing together, helping one another to grow together because we're all in this together. Amen? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.